0: Good afternoon. It's four o'clock. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. This is Finding a Voice. Spoken Word program airing here every Friday afternoon from four to six o'clock. And we do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. And coming up in the show today... In the first hour from the September twenty-first, one hundred thousand poets for change Kingston event, you're going to hear the final three, uh, well, two readings and a performance uh, from that event. Uh, readings by Chantal Lavoie and me, and then a musical performance by Irwin. Following that, from a uh, an October sixteenth book launch event at Novel Idea Bookstore, you'll hear. Andre Thorpe, as she talks about her new book, Fields of Hope, and answers questions. In the second hour from again an event at Novel ID Bookstore, held October 3rd, you'll hear a reading by Tim Wynn-Jones as he launched The Ruinous Sweep. Following that from the October 1st and The Journey Continues reading in that monthly open mic series, you'll hear readings by Justin Gao, Shannon Hope, Leanne Taras, Gwen Whitford, Tia Lunn, and Ken Chin. Uh, this first, though, the usual hourly announcement. Occasionally, some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So up first this hour, we're going to, after what, I think... This is the fourth week, uh, finish up the September 21st, 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event. Uh, The Kingston event in total featured two dozen poets and four musicians, was held at the Spire, and uh, now with, uh, just again, as I'd already just mentioned, but in case you happen to tune in a few seconds late, two remaining readings and a musical performance to end up that evening session. So let's just jump into that now. Up first, here is Chantelle Lavoie. Up next, Chantelle Lavoie lives in Kingston and teaches in the English Culture and Communication Department at the Royal Military College of Canada. Her book of verse, Where the Terror Lies, was published in 2012 by Quattro Books. She has written another titled, This is About Angels, Women, and Men, and a novel called The Boy in the Chimney. She has recently been shortlisted for the Mitchell Prize for Faith in Poetry, which she did not find out about in, uh, which she did, which she will find out about in October. So please, she says, please keep your fingers crossed for her. Let's bring up Chantelle LeBlanc.
1: Thank you, Bruce, and yes, thank you to the spire. This is, it's inspiring at the spire, isn't it? I like it. Although as I was coming, I, I mean, I've been here the last two years, but somehow I saw the sign, and because my eyes are aging, I—I I, for a second thought it said the shire, and I thought, yes, poets and music makers are like hobbits, weird little folk that nobody pays attention to, but... When they get going, they can get things done. So, but it's the spire, not the shire. That was the comic relief. Now, if these four poems were a suite and the suite had a title, it would be Three Poems Inspired by CBC and a Happy What. So you know what the first three are going to be like, but it, they're in keeping with the, the theme Birth Strike. So far, 200 have signed the petition in Ottawa, joining the thousands elsewhere, children vowing not to have children. A drop in the overflowing bucket, the world must be peopled and all people don't have such choice. Still, it means something. When I was one of them, I didn't think I'd be a mother, the Cold War heating up and missiles more likely than children. Destruction described as mutual, as if there were two sides. I imagined myself, and if it got that far, a child flashed out of existence. Me, and if it got that far, a child hairless and barren. It always happened in a flash, disappearance into ash. Or I imagined after the first strikes, men like wolves with guns and death under some rock. Now they see it as flash flood, wildfire, drought, starvation. This time, it's a slow burn. A poem for Catherine McKenna, which begins with a quotation from this month by her, misogyny and climate denial seem to go together. A poem for Catherine McKenna. He sees you as taking his job away, and his car as taking food from his children's mouths. He doesn't have the luxury to think of great or great-great-grandchildren, so he shouts out the window at you, swears as he films you walking out of the movie with your children, their juice in reusable cups, I imagine, and strawless. You hold each by hand, and move as quickly as the slowest child. You become a straw woman, the climate Barbie, targeted on the street. These attacks are increasing. Royal Canadian Mounted Police are assigned to guard your family without their steeds or red surge, ready to surge about you when words flung turn to objects. The angry men are angry because you aren't doing your job as a woman, that is, bringing them food and keeping them warm. They don't know you're trying to bring them food. You're trying to keep them warm. This third and penultimate one is called It Takes Time. The family of five arrived in Meaford, Ontario, to the snows of Meaford, Ontario, and the warmth of Meaford, Ontario in February 2016. Generosity overwhelmed them. Four to five changes of clothing per child, a house with furniture, food in abundance. They didn't know what to do with all the things how to organize them, where to put them, how to hang them up. The oldest daughter, a preteen, was given a phone. She turned into a preteen with a phone. It upset her father, called for parental discipline he was used to. She complained at school, and the police arrived armed with Canadian values. And the father who had been subjected to police with other values was confused, shamed, traumatized. To be saved, to be helped, is a heavy weight to bear. And it never, never ends. The snow must have crunched so loudly under their newly booted feet. The air must have echoed with emptiness they all slept in one room of the many-roomed house. It would have been lonely otherwise. I don't know what I would think about if I didn't listen to CBC actually on my drive in the way to work except for work. Uh, and then last night I was out with my lovely colleague Ari and she said sweetly, "I look forward to hearing your bleak poems tomorrow." And I thought, "Oh no, that's true." So this is the this is the newest poem I've ever read out loud but it's happy and I took like a, like Jason Haru I took the love theme as a possibility at the end of you know social justice inequality peace environmentalism or love those are our themes so I, I've gone with that one there's some of the others in it too but it's called the Happy Princess which only makes sense if you know Oscar Wilde's story which I had a A lot of you do. The Happy Princess. If anything will save us, it is love. This love now is like a multivitamin taken with Prosecco. I'm bubbling with it. I'm spilling over happy. It isn't escape, love, once your hair is gray, not fiddling while Rome burns. It's a reminder. All earth is sacred and all water holy. So hand the bucket down the line. The flames are scorching everyone. If we bravely give all ourselves away, chip by useless golden chip, jewel by blind jewel, still among the ashes, our hearts will remain, and God will call us back. If anything will save us, it is love.
2: Thank you.
0: Give her another hand. Use your glasses, Chantal. I do the same sort of thing. And you just heard Chantal LaVoie in the second half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event held at the Spire on September 21st. Up next in it, here's my reading that evening. Well, before I read, uh, we've heard some wonderful readings tonight. Uh, Let's give Paul and Billy, Tia, Paul again, and uh, Sarah and Chantel another hand. This is called A Crossing in a City. As you and I stand at an intersection, these corners of two streets crossing, the cars, the transports, buses, in their colors pass by with the swarms of pedestrians in their slow crawl on either side, you will watch, transfixed, perhaps enamored even, in it all the motion the words, the shapes, the flow. I look at you watching. I want to tell you how foreign all of this is to me, but cannot. I standing here only with a language you have already forgotten. In. In a world consumed with wealth and number, having been in the prisons of either, I'd suggest that less is ever more. That desire to be smaller, more minuscule, ideal. In a world of everything, better to be the scar than the initial wound. Better to be even the scar than the pristine flesh. A new morning just breaking full of its fledgling hope knows nothing yet of sunlight or day or of a late afternoon losing itself to an evening's air and sky and learns in it Only then, the languages of evolution, intuition, humility. Woke up today. Welcome to the ultra-conservative oligarchy where ignorance slowly drowns compassion, where arrogance becomes power, where back-alley abortions become again the norm. Or just the smallest of a fraction of the wealth of the seemingly unempathetic 2% of the Earth's population could choose to feed the world they choose not to? Were the capitalist conductors of the trains of production and distribution with their eyes closed plow down their tracks of rails toward climate destruction? where the lawmakers no longer rule under flags of passion and concern, but instead under banners and beside concrete walls of hatred and fear, where closets of the ultra-rich become even fuller of gold and the closets of those not become only fuller of themselves. Absolute. The line opens. The bodies have been removed. There is this scent of something uncommon, unrecognizable, pungent. It will last for as long as it does. All of this not the beginning of, but instead the end of the end. All the old stories are already dissolving, turning dew and ash to wind, and there will be no more new stories after this. (coughs) And my final poem, thank you for listening. A little bit lighter. When... When we, as a full human race, a culture, a society, an individual, when we ourselves can fully sense we are wrapped humbly in each our own soft layers of flesh, we realize in it we are not apart from, but instead a Part of. We will see the full beauty, uniqueness, and depth of any other object, of every other living thing. Thanks. And you just heard my reading in the second half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event held again at the Spire on September 21st. Up next in it and the final performance that evening was a musical one and here is Irwin with his. Here we go. As a folk singer, Irwin agrees with Maria from The Sound of Music who said, "A song is not a song until someone sings it. A song is for serving and it is there to tell us that we are not alone." And that is what draws him to pick up a guitar and sing. Let's give a hand to Irwin.
3: before, and I'm kind of counting on you to make the doo-wop happen <laughs> while I do this song, and I'll give you the part, and um, let's just try this, if you can find the doo-wop, your doo-wop would be, boom-ba-da, boom ba So the song has a kind of a part that you are going to do up for me, and then there's a bridge that doesn't have da But if you find, uh, you know, the do up uh, in you, it may have booms and ahs and a ba 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 boo at the end, and then we come back to the do up. So I'll get you going on the do up, and I'll come to the song. And if you want to sing on the bridge, please do. Let's get going on the do up. you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. No.
0: Oh, Erwin, let's give him another hand. And you just heard Erwin, a uh, musician who goes by seeing his single first name in the second half of the, and the final performance of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event held here at the Spire on September 21st. And uh, it was cool to finally get all of those. I think it took four weeks to get all of that on the air. So, up next, from an October 16th book launch event held at Novel Idea Bookstore, you'll hear Andre Thorpe as she talks about her new book, Fields of Hope, and answers questions When I went to this, I thought this would be a good segment to include in this hour. I'll explain it a little more after, but uh, let's go ahead. It it ties in very well with the theme to begin with, but there was another sort of connection, and I'll explain that after this. So here again is Andre Thorpe. So, ten years
2: ago. I uh, was in Bermuda and I knew I was about to retire, too young to do nothing, so I took a photography weekend workshop with National Geographic in Miami and I sat there and I looked at the pictures on the, the big screen and I actually started to cry because I didn't have any uh, concept. Like it's one thing you look at it in the magazines, but when it's on the big screen, it was just like amazing. So I knew right away that that's what I wanted to do, and um, so I went to see the, the instructor was Raoul son and I um, went see him and I said, okay, how much, alone and where? I don't have time to go nine months in school. Um, I'm married, and you know I can't be away for nine months. So how? how do, do we make this work? So he said, um, so he gave me a quote. I came back home and I sat down with my husband I said, I wanna go away for two weeks with this guy. Um, <laughs> this is how much it's gonna cost and this is what I'm gonna do. And all he said, he says, can I see a picture of this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and, for- and then he said, okay, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll- I'll see a picture of a <laughs> guy. Literally, you can ask him. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> that's good. And um, <laughs> I, uh, so I went, and it was intense. It was 15, 18 hours a day of photography, landscape photography. And um, I came back, and I had a bug. And I went to on another trip with him, but it was with a group. And... Um, He had an assistant at the time, and she decided to work for this NGO in Haiti. And uh, so obviously the internet was not going to happen. And so he asked me if I would manage his business, um, whatever it was at the time. It wasn't much in terms of his website or newsletter and things like that. So I said yes. So then I built his website, his newsletter, and all kinds of stuff for him. And I started to teach with him, and, um, uh, and then started with my own projects. So I came back to Canada, <laughs> and I wanted to learn documentary photography. And then I knocked on the Dowling's door and mm. sent them a letter saying, can I photograph your farm? Mm. So they had a family meeting. And <laughs> they were like, who is this woman? and what would be so interesting here to photograph. Anyway, they let me in, and they figured if it doesn't work, we're just gonna say goodbye. So I started to photograph and got involved with some of the work inside the barn, cleaning uh, cleaning after the cow, the cows, because there were many, um, and really enjoyed the farm work, mm-hmm. um, especially cleaning the barn, and some sections of the barn.
4: (laughs) She had her own section.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's my name on it now. Um, So anyway, I I really enjoyed doing it, and then in the middle of all that, I was taking pictures, and then they didn't realize I was there anymore uh, at some points, and there's some pictures they had no idea I was taking them. And then each time I was Every day I would sell, send the pictures and, and we would chat about it and have some fun and laugh and, and some were funny more than anything else and um, then after two years at the Dowling and uh, Root Radical which is side by side, it's the same family. One is vegetable the other one is at the time was a dairy farm and beef cows and um, then I started to work with Jesse over there and uh, then I added ironwood organic and then the lavender fields. And um, yeah, four years later, five farms. And um, well, actually we are five years later, five farms. I decided to have, create a book and do a fundraising with it. Um, and that's what we're doing now. And all the proceeds is going to Loving Spoonful,
4: Wonderful.
2: uh, Red Clover over there, and Young Agrarians, which is an organization that supports uh, young farmers across the country.
4: Sweet.
2: So, um, and then once it's all sold, we have 500 copies. So far, we sold about 150 so I'm hoping to sell 200 by November 1st and write a nice check <laughs> <laughs> before I go away for the winter. And then, um, and then when I come back, get back at it and finish it up. And if it does well, then maybe come up with another book in four or five years from now and do another fundraising if it's successful. Because it's really making a difference in our community. And also turning it into a movement for, like, there's a lot of people that know nothing about, I was very ignorant myself uh, about local farming, uh, sustainable farming. Um, I knew organic versus industrial, but I didn't really have a good understanding. I was a business person. I was my When it comes to money, I'm very black and white and pragmatic. (laughs) And I just had no concept of how um, this community was working and the impact they had um, on the local economy. And also sustainable farming and organic farming. Or even if it's not organic, just having the awareness on climate change and the impact on the planet and, mm-hmm. and so on. So through this book, uh, it gives me the opportunity to dialogue with people. I know a lot of people, and whoever wants to hear the story, I'm, I'll talk. And um, and you know, it's like even today, like I was talking with my bank because I need some cash to go to the U.S. and He says, oh, so tell me more about um, um, Loving spoonful." I said, they just collected 26,000 pounds of vegetables, surplus vegetables, and distributed it all in the community. He says, you're kidding me. I said, yeah, that is what we are doing in this community. So why are we not doing this everywhere? Um, and it's, it's just a matter of like, circulating that kind of information. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, people start to wake up and, and start to say, well, we can do this in our community too. So, and then you create change. So that's, that's my goal. And it's what I do with my time.
0: Sounds wonderful.
2: I have fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, and because of hope, I have hope. Indeed. (laughs) Wonderful. Hey, well, you know. You know the story already, but (laughs) you're here. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, I was impressed when I read that story this week, how much food they collected Mm -hmm. that would otherwise go nowhere. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, they do a good job.
2: And getting all these volunteers, too. Mm Mm-hmm. That's like what I find very impressive, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: and distribute all that food within the community as well. Andrew, will you
5: answer some questions? Sure. Um, I was wondering if you would tell us about like some particularly challenging days that you faced on farms.
2: Blue skies. (laughs) 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 I'm not. uh, There are pictures to be made with blue skies. But I'm not. It's, just, it's not something for me that gets me going. Um, I like I like to work. Like I followed, for example, the farmers at Emily's farm. And you were one of them, like for hours, and photograph and do the same picture over and over. And he, what's going to make this picture different than the other picture is the sky or the light. And and, and it's chasing that moment to me. And I love drama in my pictures. I, I, I just love that painting feel to it, kind of, but creating it in the camera as opposed to creating it in the Photoshop. Like, there's several pictures, like the one with Gabe's, like, you know, with the leak. And, like, wait for that. you know how many pictures I took for half those leaves framing his face (laughs) with the wind? I spent four hours (laughs) on my belly to take Poor Gabe, he didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> he started. actually. He started to sing because he was just like he didn't know what to talk about anymore, and he was like <laughs> working on the the leeks, right, cutting them and removing the the leaves, some of the leaves, um, and I don't know what happened. I just like saw the leaves going around his face, and I kept,
4: <laughs>
2: and here I was. But nice. before I got to that moment. I was on the other side, he had his jacket off, then he put the hood on, and just the fact that he has the hood on, it covered the other t-shirt with the whatever title was on there, and then the magic, and the sky is dramatic, it's just like perfect, mm. right? So images to me, it's sometimes you're lucky, but You know, it's like anything in life. Sometimes you have to be patient and be there, and luck comes with your patience, your reward, right? The same thing with Jesse. I don't know how many hours I followed (laughs) Jesse and took the same picture over and over and over. Um, But that barn, like the light changes from morning to night, and depending if it's raining or not, it it's, it varies. And all of a sudden you have a beam of light that I've never saw before. It's like, whoa, that's that's nice, right? Like that sheep with the bird the the bird the chicken on it.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Bah, that's mm-hmm. the name of the <laughs> sheep. Um you know, he had to be at that spot with the chicken on his back. And the light had to be like at that moment. I spent hours to get, get it right. And so many times I went in the barn and the chicken was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just takes a lot of time. Um, but yeah, blue skies. <laughs> 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 Boring. <laughs> we need them once in a while. Yeah, I know.
6: Yeah, fires
2: are like a moon. <laughs> 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 That's where the word hope comes from. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, oh, well, I hope we're going to have a blue sky, or mm-hmm. I hope that, I hope, I hope. Okay. Yeah. Next year we'll be
4: better. Mm? Next year we'll be better.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's,
4: yeah. Okay, we're just going to do a little bit of business.
2: Okay, that's good. Yeah.
4: I think. I like that. There <laughs>
2: Sorry. That's okay. I lost you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Um, 22 bucks and a nickel. Could you consider like to move to different farms Good. or Good. like if
5: you
4: were to continue
2: this? Yeah, I'm gonna project. have different farms. Um, farm. Like,
7: you may tap.
2: I think I'm gonna wish. change the way I've been working. Okay, uh, Maybe have one farm and spend a whole week there. So if there's 20 weeks in the summer, it's 20 different farms. But I, I want to start working One with bag. farms who have young children who work on the farm, so, because that's part of the story as well. Right? Um, different farms, maybe a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. different, but organic, still sustainable farming. Um, always like in that kind of those parameters but I did get um, um, it's funny because I did a presentation and uh, there was one farmer that is I, I guess I was using, not all the farmers on this, in this book is organic and um This farmer was not and was in the presentation and took offense that the fact that she thought that this whole project was just organic farmers. And she basically said publicly she will never support this project because I'm only supporting (laughs) organic farmers. I'm like, okay. So, yeah. I think you know. I think it's to continue. And if, if we're gonna create a movement like I started, and maybe an advocate for sustainable farming, in um, there you need to stay within this parameter. But that doesn't mean like just in order to provide information. Why not do one industrial farm and talk about what are the differences? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see, but I think I I, to spend like the way I used to. um, It's a huge time commitment, and it's at the end. I I don't know if it's. I mean, I can take a thousand image. At the end, I might keep just two. I mean, doesn't mean the nine hundred and ninety eight other pictures are not good. It's just they're not, oh, wow, or they're not, like, what's different about that picture? Like, what's going to make you stop and
4: mm-hmm. look
2: at it? Um, a lot of the pictures I've done are, you can call them, they're good for stock photography. Mm-hmm. But to make a book as big. Mm. That, that picture has to be over here, not over here. And even when I went through the editing process, I I got some help from Ernesto Bazan, who's um, a very good photographer, has pl- published uh, many many books, and is world known photographer. And he said to me, "So send me your best hundred pictures," and he trimmed it down to forty three, and I was just like. Uh. <laughs> What does that mean, right? It's not that the other 57 were not good. It's just like those 43 that are over here. The rest is over here. So that makes the rest of the work like here. Um, so it's it's understanding like what's the difference. Is that gonna make the cover of a box cereal box, or it's gonna make a book. And what kind of book? Is it um, like a book that's going to be created to teach farming? Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Right? For example, I took for I don't know how many hours pictures of cow pie, (laughs) right? And the ecosystem in there. (laughs) And um, so obviously that's not going to make this book. (laughs) But. (laughs) <laughs> the farm used it into their, like, like for example, Eric does articles, writes articles all the time. He's used many of my pictures that I'm like, oh, my God, I did that picture. Like, uh, but I would never use it for the book, but it's good for an article. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the difference. Um, talking about cow pie,
4: <laughs>
2: so... I have I have a friend in Palm Springs who's taking over my Facebook management because she's a social media guru and she literally told me she says you need to put this little video together talking about cow pie because people are just because of the name they're gonna listen to it and that's she in the, if if you make it interesting enough no more than a minute and a half talking about and I told her, I said, this is what I learned from cow pie, this old ecosystem and certain bugs need to be there and you know the health of the field depending on what kind of bugs and I went on and on for about two minutes she says, you need to take this I'm like, what? <laughs> right, so yeah, so
4: health of the cow
2: too Yes, the whole <laughs> digestive system. Mm-hmm. I can talk about that. You know, it's like I they like, can it's funny because you meet people, you start talking about things like that, and you realize, oh my god, I learned a lot of stuff on the farm. It was fun. Mm. you didn't know that, right?
8: I didn't know that, and I'm glad I do now. <laughs> <laughs> but I I didn't know so much about any of this until. I started to see you put this book together, and and, mm. and uh, uh,
2: it's it's been a real education for me. It's yeah. been wonderful. Well, it, it's been, uh, I, it, this was a, you know, people say sometimes, why are you doing what you're doing? I said, well, this was just a, it was fun to do, but it's a gift that life has given me to do this, because I learned a lot, and it changed. Uh, it, it changed me as a person. As it's not that I wasn't bad. Bef- I was bad before. It just gave me a, a very new way of looking at things and life, and and also like learning from people like Eric and and Peter, and just like okay, why don't you slow down a minute? Like you know, as you know, I have energy like for twenty people, um, just to chill chill out and what really matters and simple things can make you very, very happy and all of a sudden, oh let's, let's get rid of stuff and it changes you it really changes you mm-hmm. I, for me it, it did that and and then my husband's starting to be scared because I'm shedding a lot of stuff. And he's like, Are we going to have any chair left? Laugh? <laughs> <laughs> <Huh. laughs> it's just, yeah. So, it's been a, a good time. Wonderful. So that's the story. Still so recording?
0: No, I haven't turned it on yet. It was wonderful. Thank you very much. Oh, God. It's funny. And uh, you just heard Andre Thorpe. as She talked about her new book called Fields of Hope and answered questions in a very casual conversation. Uh, And that was from an October 16th book launch event at Novel Idea Bookstore. And I, again, getting, I mentioned this before I aired it, having just finished up today, I know he's finishing up today, uh, four weeks of the 100,000 Poets for Change event, in which environment is uh, very, uh, one of the main themes in a sustainable environment. And uh, uh, so... In addition to that, uh, one of the agencies that our event, or the 100,000 Poets for Change event, uh, what we were donating to is Loving Spoonful, happened to find out that evening that uh, proceeds uh, uh, from this book, uh, part of the proceeds from this book, are going to go to the same agency. And so, again, for all those reasons, I thought it would be perfect to just air the Her launch uh, that evening and that book uh, directly behind the conclusion of that uh, day-long poetry event. I'll tell you what, why don't we uh, just do this and I will be
3: right back i'm david suzuki the average lunch or dinner travels 2400 kilometers to get to your table eating local means combating global warming the future is on your table eat your way to a healthier planet
9: find out how at davidsuzuki.org
10: friday evenings at 6 p.m here on cfrc listen to saltwater music a show covering all musical genres from the east coast of canada celtic of course but also rock jazz blues folk and a lot more I'm your host Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from six to eight here on CFRC 101.9 FM, or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's seven PM Atlantic and seven thirty
3: Newfoundland. I'm David Suzuki. Cut your heat and energy use by 10%, and you'll be making a real difference combating global warming. The future is in your hands.
9: Shrink your footprint, grow your wallet, cool the planet. Find out how at davidsuzuki.org.
0: Folk everything. Every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me
3: every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. Says Red Molly to James, that's a fine motorbike.
0: And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 46 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. I do have a few minutes here. Uh, I don't think I will have any time. I'm not sure yet, but... It's going to be tight at the end of the second hour, so I do want to share a few upcoming events. There aren't as many happening, but still quite a few this coming week, so we'll see if we can get through those. Uh, So I do want to do that, but before I do that, I want to say thanks for tuning in to the first hour, uh, which is nearly done today, and hope you can stay tuned to the second hour as we uh, continue with another reading uh, and... uh, Uh, book launch and, uh, readings from, uh, another event, uh, to fill that hour. And I also want to mention that I do usually at the end of each hour is that, uh, each show, each hour is actually separate, uh, uploaded to my blog space each week, uh, shortly after the show ends and after I get home and that, uh, Blog address is finding a voice on CFRCFM.wordpress.com. It will remain there for, for four years. So, tell you what, let's go ahead and I want to mention one call first because it expires on November 4th, so coming up very quickly. Uh, but, and I'm not going to go into details because there are a lot here. I will give you a link if you're interested. But uh, Kingston uh, poet laureate Jason Haru, uh, in conjunction with the Kingston Frontenac Public Library, uh, the two are seeking six emerging emerging or practicing poets who are 14 or older, who are interested in a free 60 minute mentorship session uh, with him. Uh, and they have uh, an, a list of things that to do if you are interested. It's also going to be held at uh, on. Th- Two each, in the one-hour sessions on three different days at, uh, looks like, three of the different branches, so all over town, sort of. And uh, the deadline for submissions is Monday, November 4th at 5 p.m., so it's coming up. You've still got a weekend if you're interested. What I would suggest is look for that uh, on their website, www.kfpl.ca. And they are seeking people who, because there are just a limited number, as I understand it, of positions, they're looking for uh, poets who have not already had a session to try to open it up uh, to a few new poets. I don't think I'll have time for any other, uh, to share any other submissions Uh, this afternoon. I'm going to move straight into uh, the events uh there uh i will mention briefly that uh, there is one weekly event coming up that's also tied to that same uh website um, www.kfpl.ca uh but it's the Frontenac public library so this is an event there are let's see four other opportunities uh to take part of this it is uh national uh national writing. uh see, I'm trying to get the right, National Novel Writing Month. Uh, it's abbreviated NaNoWriMo, NanoRIMO, I guess. And uh, so they, the Kingston Frontenac Public Library is offering four sessions. Uh, they're all Monday nights through the week of uh, November at different locations. So, again, uh, check the website, www.kfpl.ca, and... Uh, Let's go ahead and jump into, there is uh, the weekly session I'll just mention quickly. Uh, It's the Limestone Writers Writing Group. Uh, They're open to all genres uh, of uh, work, and they meet every Wednesday night from April, from September through April at 7 p.m. in room 239 of the Stauffer Library, if you're interested in it, or even more information, contact David at dprattpratt 1939 at hotmail.com. Coming up this Tuesday will be the next in the And the Journey Continues open mic reading series. Um, so the next reading in it held at the Elm Cafe, which is 303 Montreal Street. And... Uh, Doors open at 6.30 after the cafe closes at 5. Reopens the doors at 6.30. Uh, Readings start shortly after 7 o'clock after the lines clear. So, Diem Cafe, if I didn't mention it already, is at 303 Montreal Street. It runs from 7 to 9.30. There's a book launch at Novel Idea coming up this week as well on Thursday, November 7th at 7 p.m. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name correctly, but it's Mark uh, Zuluk, I think. It's Z-U-E-H-L-K-E. But he's an award-winning author and military historian. He will be launching his latest historic nonfiction. It's, a, I believe, a World War II-era book called River Battles. Again, that's at uh, Novel Idea Bookstore, 156 Princess Street, corner of... Uh, Princess and Baggett. I'm going to jump to Saturday only to let you know there is another National Novel Writing Month event that's going to be sponsored by a local bakery restaurant. So it's an all-night thing. It's from Friday, November 8th. I believe that's right. It would be. We're the first today. Friday, November 8th through 7 p.m. through Sunday, uh, November or through Saturday, November 9th, 7 p.m. So it runs from 7 p.m. on Friday to 7 a.m. next Saturday. Again, it's at Fardella's Restaurant and Bakery. There is a Facebook uh, event notice for it. It's called A Night of Writing Dangerously. Use that to uh, to, uh, guide you there. And uh, you should be able to find out. I'll probably announce it again next week as well since it happens it begins right after the show. Anyway, we are now sort of well into hour two. Is like uh, almost two minutes after five. I don't know how that happened. But you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. If you just tuned in, again, we are located in Lower Crothers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do also stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. In the second hour, uh, yeah, first you're going to hear a reading by Tim Wynn-Jones as he launched the Ruinous Sweep. Uh, his latest book, that was held on October 3rd at Novel Idea Bookstore. Following that, then, from the October 1st and The Journey Continues Reading in that monthly open mic, you'll hear re- readings by Justin Gao, Shannon Hope, Leanne Torres, Gwen Whitford, Tia Lunn, and Ken Shin. This first, though, the usual hourly announcement, and again, it is that some. Um, Poetry, Spoken word or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So again, to begin this hour, let's go ahead and jump into a reading that was held on uh, October 3rd at Novel Idea Bookstore as Tim Jones launched his latest book called the ruinous sweep here's Tim
7: thank you so much for coming out um, I'm very happy to be I'm always happy to be at this store which I hi Shelley I didn't even see you coming, uh, which I love uh, God we collect great bookstores and this is one of the greatest I've ever been in this place. Uh, and, and in fact I Come here and to do signings and end up spending more money on the books I take out than I make selling. Well, that's that's the way it goes. Um, I'm really excited about uh, this book, it, it, partially because it's um, I wrote a book, The Maestro, in 1995, which won the Governor General's Award. Um, I'm going to just tell you about this cover because I'm very I'm fa- kind of fascinated by this cover. This was originally the Australian cover for the book. The book was called The Flight of Burl Crow in Australia uh, which is a great title and they had to call it that because the maestro was already a very famous Australian book. Um, so they called it The Flight of Burl Crow and that the, the character's name is Burl Crow. And I thought, wow, what a great title. And I loved this picture. I thought some Aussie artist has just got it on, you know, Canadian habib, <laughs> You know, like uh, clothing. But if you look closely at this book that's set in northern Ontario, there's a mountain that looks very like Iwo Jima. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, the Canadian Shield is the oldest mountain range in the world, and this is a very new mountain. So when Groundwood, my wonderful Canadian publisher of this book, adopted this, I thought, yeah, but it's got a very new mountain (laughs) that they placed in the middle of Northern Ontario. That aside, um, I love the cover. Anyway, I wrote the Maestro in 95, and uh, uh, the character Burl, I leave him kind of ambiguously hanging at the end. He's fine. But I don't say, and then everything worked out swell, um, because I don't tend to do that.
4: Because but, uh, but, I don't
7: think anything's ever swell. But anyway, that's that's a whole other thing I've talked about with my shrink. But uh, I didn't say that. But also, his his abusive father, I don't say what happened to him. And for years, I mean, since 1995, so that's quite a few years ago, I still get letters saying, so what happened to Burl? And more importantly, what happened to his father? Did somebody... Run over him in a truck? Um, did he drown with weights tied to his feet? You know, they have fantastic ideas of what, how he might have died. And I thought for many years, I thought, I should, I'm not the kind of person who writes sequels, but I thought, I should write a sequel and just put them out of their misery, you know. Um, I didn't um, because. Um, because that might have been successful and I've avoided success. I'm a Canadian writer. I've avoided success at all costs. Um, no, partially I just don't write sequels. I don't... But the, it always stayed with me. And finally, a couple of years... Well, a few years ago, three or four years ago, Amanda, I'm right here. my wonderful wife, and I went up to this 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 place in northern Ontario. We, When I wrote this, we had only just discovered this place. We now own a cabin on on this extraordinary lake. It's called Ghost Lake in here, and I'm not going to tell you the real name, because you all move there, and and then I'd have to shoot you. Because there's very few people on the lake, and we like it that way. But anyway, uh, we went up in March, which in north of Sudbury is still deep winter. There's four feet of snow. There was three or four feet of snow. Mm -hmm. And and we thought, wow! this is a whole other thing. And I thought, oh, I'd love to. If I did ever write that sequel, it would be in winter. And then Amanda reminded me of a terrible tragedy that happened on that lake, for real. And I I was looking for uh, a further motivation to write this story, not just to satisfy the the, um, morbid fantasies of my readers uh, about what happened to Burl's father. and I went, oh my god, yeah, that's that's it. So I decided to write it. But to write a sequel twenty-five years after the first book suggested to me that well, young Burl is old enough to have had a sixteen-year-old son in this time period, in real time. If we, you know, if we write it in real time, and I went, oh, I'll write an intergenerational sequel. So in this book, uh, Nate. Who's named after Nathaniel Gao, who is the maestro? Very loosely modeled, no, not very loosely, almost completely modeled on Glenn Gould. Um, we couldn't use his name because of litigious people, um, but he is Glenn Gould. That's the first book. You should get this too. You don't have to. You don't have to. This book is standing It's a standalone. Um, but in any case, he's uh, uh, named Nate. he goes up to uh, Ghost Lake, again, um, with a very different kind of burden than his father had all those years ago. So I'm going to read a couple of uh, readings. Is is this my copy? Yes, it's got notes in it. Um, uh, I'll read a couple of uh, uh, short readings. The first um, is chapter one, and it's two two minutes long. If you've got something you need to do. I know the World <laughs> Series starts tonight, and I'm not sure some of you are just dying to get <laughs> the dream. The dream was waiting for him. Dodge Hoybeek under a thick sheet of crystal clear ice, his eyes wide open, his fingers scraping at the glassy ceiling above him, his mouth screaming bubbles pouring out and his long, blonde hair trailing behind him in the black water. Then somehow the streaming bubbles formed themselves into words. you got to come, man, you owe me. And Nate, kneeling on the ice above his friend, his bare hands flat on the surface, frozen to the surface, tried to speak but couldn't, as though he were the one who was drowning. You owe me, Nate. It's your fault. I'm sorry, Nate shouted. I'm so sorry. It was like he was looking into a warped carnival mirror, unable to say anything, unable to do anything except throw his head back and howl. He woke up, his heart beating like a two-stroke engine. Had he really howled? He listened to the ticking stillness. No one was coming, so... Maybe not. Last fall he'd howled, good and loud. He'd woken time and time again with his head pressed to his mother's chest, her arms around him, his father standing just behind her, his hand on her shoulder, strong and calm. I've got to find him, Nate would say, and his mother would shush him, and he'd yell at her, No, you don't understand. He he needs me. He's waiting for me up there. <laughs> Eventually he would wear himself out. It's all my fault, he'd say. It's all my fault. His voice would grow hoarse and the tears would come and finally he'd lay his head back down on his pillow. His mother would fuss with the covers as if he were a five-year-old. Touch her fingers to her lips and place them on his forehead, a benediction. Then she'd leave him, then she'd leave the room but his father would stand there in the dark, stand guard until he fell asleep, stand there as long as it took." So that's the tone of the book. <laughs> I'm going to jump uh, ahead a bit, because um, I wanted to introduce an important character in the book, or sort of introduce. Um, uh, the weather is an important character in this book. The landscape is a huge character in this book. I. I don't, I don't ever write uh, a book without where where the landscape isn't essential, isn't the grounding for the character. To me, it's um, it's why I live in Eastern Ontario, because, but this isn't in Eastern Ontario; it's in Northern Ontario. But the same thing is true. I just feel that a, a story has to uh, be set somewhere, um, have a sense of place, which is different than setting. When I. Th- When I think of a backdrop I think of middle grade musicals I I went to Connaught school in Ottawa And we used to do big musicals And there would be a huge sheet of paper With a painting of the sea Or a field Or a a city on it And that would be the the backdrop And when you came on stage It would waver (laughs) (laughs) And I've read fiction like that where the, back, the, the, set, the backdrop is that. It's just a piece of paper. It's thin. It has no meaning. And I don't like that crap. Um, <laughs> sorry. But, you know, I mean, it's just, it's like, if, 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 yeah, setting. Um, so um, anyway, so I'll just fill in what little bit of uh, plot you need to know. Nate had been planning for a year to go up to the camp in March break, which is still winter, with his friend Dodge and another friend from school. They were going to go alone without his father. They're all 16. Um, Dodge dies in the fall in a tragic accident, uh, an accident based on the true story. And I had to tone it down in the book because it was too fantastical in real life. But anyway. Um, so he's died. He can't go, but the the friend from school can accept that he ends up going to a drunken party on March break and he gets grounded. And Nate uh, decides to go alone. And the thing is, he lies to his parents, and Nate, Nate's father is Burl who can be in Australia and Canada at the same time. His father is his, his hero. His father is an amazing, wonderful father, which I, is what I wanted anybody who read The Maestro to know. Um, his mother is wonderful. He lies them because he's got to go up. He's, he's desperate to find the body of his friend who died. They, they, they don't know he died. Nobody ever found his body. And he needs to go up there. He needs to get away. He needs to go up to this place where so much happened. So he's carrying a very heavy weight on his shoulders. Um, he takes a train up. You have to take a train. This is a part of the world where you, you can't drive to this lake. In, in reality, you can't drive to this lake by road. You can to fly in or take a train, which will drop you in the middle of nowhere. But it isn't actually, because there's a path there that leads to where we have our place that's been there for 10,000 years. Um, So it's pretty neat. It (coughs) grows over a bit, but we deal with that. Anyway, so he's feeling incredible guilt at having lied to his uh, fabulous parents, but he has to do this. So I'm just going to read um, a a little bit. he's, He's arrived. The train has dropped him off. Um, There's a big front moving in. Uh, I've already said that earlier in the book, and um, it's not going to get very... It's going to be bad. Anyway, the first hill was the worst. It wasn't all that long, but it was steep and rocky, and his father, determined to keep the trailhead secret, Never cut it back much, so you got your face slapped a whole lot by whippy branches as you carted stuff up the hill. It was only twice as hard in snowshoes. When he got to the top, he broke out a bottle of water and pretty much downed the whole thing. Despite the sun beating down, it was minus 15 or so, and that would be the day's high. Um, Just get ready, it's coming all of that. <laughs> Sorry. <Anyway>. <laughs> <laughs> he knew for sure now that he'd have to make a second trip from the camp. He took out the cooler and strapped it shut. At this time of year the bears were hibernating, so you didn't have to worry too much about leaving a container full of food at the trailhead. In summer they douse the cooler with bleach just to be sure. Still, it was hard to leave it. He felt nervous for some reason. The guilt's again. Was he going to feel like this for the next three days? He shook his head angrily. Then he took a deep, nose-hair-stinging breath and set off. He was glad of the big baskets on the ski poles. The snow was powder-soft and deep. After that opening hill from the train bed, there were three more climbs. Dodge had named them as if they were a series of horror movies. Everest. Killer Everest. And... Everest, the return. (laughs) The weird thing is that the way was actually easier in winter because there were no rocks and not as much vegetation swatting you left and right. The snow had hardened off a bit once he got deeper into the bush, so he didn't sink in too much. And, yeah, he was sweating, but the wind that found its way through the trees soon dried his face off. The cold revived him, cleared his head. By the time he'd made it up Everest, the return... He came to a decision. Once he'd settled in at the camp, he was going straight up to the shack on the hill and contact his folks. Come clean. And there's a hill up high, and this is true in our own circumstance, where you can actually get reception. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Where was it? He? <laughs> he was going straight up the shack on the hill and contact his pe- folks. Come clean. He began to compose the text message. He'd offer to come back tomorrow on the Friday train if they wanted. He'd check with them Friday morning. Had to do it, he'd text. He wouldn't try to explain. They'd either get it or they wouldn't get it. Either way, he'd take the consequences. The decision bloomed in him as something right. Since the train wouldn't be back until around one or so tomorrow afternoon, He might even have time to dig out the skidoo in the morning and go tool around Dead Horse Bay, have a quick look. Or maybe he wouldn't. He wanted so much to be the one to find Dodge, no matter how horrible it would be. It was what a best friend should do. He didn't need Dodge in his dreams, demanding him to come to to know that. He didn't owe Dodge anything, not really. His dad had made sure he understood that. You couldn't have stopped him. Burl had said. Mr. Hobie or Dodge. I could have stopped Dodge and, and Trick would have listened to me. Yeah, well. He shook the memory out of his head. He'd go take a look, swing around the bay in the sled and then do right by his parents. He passed the halfway point. It was pretty well all downhill from here. He felt better already, full of optimism. His his load felt lighter. <laughs> A cliché, but completely true nonetheless. He came to a tree weighed down with snow. Its trunk cracked. It was tipped diagonally across the trail so that he had to duck low to get under it. Every spring, his father came up early with a chainsaw to clear the fallen trees from the trail. By then, this would be one of them. It was big, probably a foot thick. He patted the trunk, and the nearest branch above dumped a weight of snow on his head. All right, already. Lesson learned, he shouted at the tree, laughing as he dug the snow out of his collar. It was good to laugh. He knew every turn of the trail, and as he got closer and closer to the lake, his sense of excitement grew, not to mention his hunger. Finally, he passed the trail that led off to his right, to the Hoybeek's camp, 200 yards to go. His first lunch would come before he set off back to the track. His second lunch would come upon his return that would leave a good few hours before he cooked supper by then the camp would be toasty warm he had a thriller to read on his kindle some new music downloaded on his phone and there were cards if he wanted to play some solitaire it was all good it was all going to be okay and then suddenly he stopped dead it wasn't all good it wasn't going to be okay at all a door opened. Just that, the scariest sound in the world. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> so this is a, 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 a kind of a Canadian survival uh, novel, and um, and a bunch of other things too. Does anybody have any questions? Or who opened the door? So, like, it's this
4: this,
9: uh,
7: salesman? (laughs) (laughs) Good one, Wayne. Good one, Wayne. (laughs) Yes? Is this the Cochrane train you're talking about? I'm sorry? Is this the train from Cochrane that you're talking about? No, not Cochrane. It goes from Sudbury to White White River. I can never remember the name. White River. And it's it's called the Bud Car, and people come literally from all over the world. To ride in it because it's this fabulous train that stops wherever you ask it to stop. Well, you don't ask the train; you ask the people on it. It's not a children's picture book, uh, although
4: whoa!
7: <laughs> uh, so you ask the people, and they and you get off. Especially in four feet of snow, it's kind of interesting. You put your your snowshoes down, so they can put the packs on that. You're up to your waist, so in my case. You know, anyway, um, and then you, yeah, you go in. It's wonderful. So it's a real adventure because it's you can't know when the train will actually come. It, it comes when it comes, and there's very little in life now that you know that we're at that at the mercies of things like that. And we seem to claim it. Yes? So you were writing
4: this there in the cold? Is that
7: what you said? No, I I, I don't think I've ever written up when we go up to this lake. We don't. We don't. No, no, no. (laughs) We do write about. When we go up there, I think my wife and I both made a decision that we would never actually physically work (coughs) on writing while we were there. We do. I think you do more writing than I do. I just... (coughs) don't do anything, but but just take it all in. I just take it. All, I take it all in. And um, but when we were there in the winter, it was so exciting and fabulous and um, frightening on some level. In fact, when we went out that time, we went out. The train didn't come for five hours. For five hours, and it was twenty below. And we were waiting at the track. And if you leave. You have no, if you leave or go back to the car, camp, there won't be a train the next day or for two days. So you have to keep waiting. And it's 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 a kind of Canadian um, masochism. Masochism. <laughs> it's kind of, it's like, but then when you see the light coming down the track and you are dead, it's really exciting. To so. do that
5: thing where you, the kids have little
7: puddles built at the side well, of our own. You plane. can light fires, yeah. yeah. We, we, we can, light, we can light, fire, light, light fires on the track, melt them a bit, the train crashes crash, right. right. <laughs> um, Yeah, no, you can. I you, did that
4: home from Banff, Alberta once.
7: But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, but it's, it is very, and uh, I think part of the thing we love is that the clarity of your vision. It's like, oh, we're going to die <laughs> unless we uh-huh. take charge of this. And I, I, I kind of. Well, we love it.
11: It's a train that goes up on the uh, the CPR track, so it's going on the freight track.
4: Mm-hmm. So
11: a lot of the vagaries have to do with whatever freight trains are going through. Yes. So sometimes you will get this wonderful, optimistic joy. <gasps> I hear a train! I hear a train! And it's oh a, my god! It's
4: a freight! A stand back! <laughs> it's
7: 150 cars that are not going to stop for you. Um, no. Anyway, no, it's uh, uh, it's a wonderful, thing but also. Um obviously the story is not just a survival story it's about uh it's about grief it's about the weight of grief and, and 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 how it uh I um I think if I had a if there was anything that was a model for this story it would be is uh, this sounds very weird the movie Dead Calm has anybody seen the, movie? the Australian movie Dead Calm with Nicole Kidman and um yeah, and, and the movie starts With Nicole Kidman driving to the airport With their little baby And she's meeting her husband Who's come on leave He's a naval officer And there's a, it's raining And there's a crash And you don't need to be told This is all during the credits That that baby dies And the next thing you see Is their yacht out on the Pacific Ocean And they're in it And at that moment The movie goes from being a it's still completely realistic, but it's gone into a world of, of grief. And, and what happens to them out there on that boat, you can either take as completely real, or you can take as the manifestation of living through the most awful thing in your life. And, and so, and that, so I, I, I love that movie for that extraordinary uh, segue um, and I, and I, I, that's what I, I tried to use in this book. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for coming. Mm-hmm.
0: And you just heard Tim Wynn Jones as he launched The Ruinous Sweep, his latest book, and that was held on October 3rd at Novel Idea Bookstore. And just uh, mention here, you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. And I was going to air uh, some recorded announcements here, but I think I'll just save those for the end of the show. And instead, we're going to move right now into uh, the And the Journey Continues uh, reading. This one was held October 1st. Uh, It's in that monthly open mic series held at the Elm Cafe. And in the round, so whenever I air readings from there, you're always going to hear them grouped in anywhere from two to five people, usually three to four, and which I believe is pretty much the case. Yes, it is. Uh, two groups of three this afternoon, so you're going to hear the first six readings uh, from that evening in October 1st. Hard to believe that's coming up again on Tuesday night. I don't know where this month went, so... Anyway, that aside, let's go ahead and up here you're going to hear from it Justin Gow, Shannon Hope, and Leanne Taras in that order. First up tonight is Justin Gao. Let's bring him up.
10: Thanks. It's called Friday Night Lightsaber. Throw me a bone. I've been trying to turn this doghouse to a home. Changed the locks out, bought a gnome. Hung your portrait on the doorway of my soul, but it don't feel whole. Thanks for noticing. I know my sins by memory bloodline traces of another time graves for the butterflies I got a centipede spine and it's always been my specialty placing bait upon the line howling at the moon while waiting on the shine bringing home the bacon slaughtering the swine turning water into wine but these miracles ain't mine to impart I'm just imitating life through art intimate and interactive as a knife to the heart shed a little refracted light in the dark I got a bad heart bum ticker Keep the tar in my lungs, thicker than thieves, ditching these ridiculous dreams off of cliffs and ravines. All my riddles and schemes get ripped at the seams, drawn and quartered. These songs are my fortress of solitude, where the voices in my head all follow suit. Call it a truce. Chanting a mantra, like Nancy Sinatra. Yes, I got my walking boots, I'm on the move. Got a foothold in both worlds, but it don't balance the act. Homeward bound with only a gallon of gas. King Homer came back, then the palace collapsed. I felt your talons were trapped but this free bird still trapped seized by the fact that neither one of us is easy to catch, hard to get like a silhouette, a fly stuck in Charlotte's web and she's got that look in her eyes like hooks and lines in need of a sinker, succumb to the succubus, she'll drink your blood and fuck you up something fierce in the coming years you'll grow numb to the fear she'll cut out your tongue for a souvenir wielding love like a spear and she knows how to use it Turn your bones to a toothpick, low down and toothpick, no sound, no music, just a ghost town of illusion and profound confusion. Welcome to the hell of your own goddamn choosing.
0: As we give Justin
3: another hand, let's bring up Shannon Hope.
5: I think anxiety tries to hide it from me, but you see, when I confronted anxiety, sat with it, asked it to unbolt its door, what I found on the other side was a trembling grief. She bears a different face, softer, rounder, more beautiful, but ghastly. She's aged considerably since we last saw one another under full light. In fact, she's now half corpse, half alive. And it's the still liveness that terrorizes me the most about her. Death I can sit with. Death I can kneel before and kiss on the cheek one last time. It's the unsanitized in-between beingness I most dread, and it's anxiety who closes the casket mid-wake, pretending the cries within are just the sounds of my post-war insides. But now I'm home again, and now grief is propped up next to me. I can see the rise and fall of her chest as she breathes, even though her hands and feet have long since decayed. I feel the not-yet-roots above calling to sink into her soon-to-be soil, that she has not yet become earth, so I politely tell them, not yet. But I can see she's been pointing towards them, like God and Michelangelo's creation of Adam, except her fingertips are more like ashes on the tip of a dying cigarette. They point towards the hope of what is yet to be breathed to life. I know she, too, is meant to be creator, but I have kept her here in fear of the created. I've kept her here because I'm afraid, of what might grow from her will never be as beautiful as she once was. Her state of present tense dying and this tension between invincible being and inevitable nothingness is the last I have. <coughs> There's pieces of my own memory that have embalmed her out of loyalty, out of resistance to acknowledging the decay of what is. It's my own fears that I have carefully patterned her face with, to conceal the lines I don't want to read. It's my own fears that applied the lipstick to her frown, so that if she should ever speak again, her words might be framed in color. And maybe she'll stay just a little bit longer, because she'll have more to say. I do these things because I hate that her thin aging skin and the limp compliance of her drawn down lips tell me she's not what she used to be. When she was young, she was love. When she was young, she was fully alive, fully glowing fully pointing with her creator's finger towards the heart she found in me, the heart that had been the autumn brought to life from dust and breath. Now there is just dust, not enough breath. Now the two of us sit shoulder to shoulder in near touching silence. She is living memory wrapped in shroud. I expect if I peel back the grave cloth, I will find traces of love again. I pause to consider what's more horrifying, to see the glimpse of love still living among her rotting patches or to see a body I no longer recognize. So instead we sit together, and I ask Grief to remind me of her favorite song. She tells me, and her words become framed in color. Someday I will place them next to the painting I'll have of this moment. It's no Michelangelo, but it's the recreation narrative shrouded on the ceiling of my Sistine Chapel soul. It's the one where Grief and I listen to our favorite song together and I'm not afraid. It's the one where I see that she still glows and is still beautiful, and though she is draped in linen, I feel the outstretch of her right arm, ash-tipped finger pressing into the tip of my nostril heart, a heart that has been made new in this moment, and I realize it was me who had been trying to grow from her almost earth all along. So I rest my head on the rise and fall of grief's chest and tell her it's okay to go. I tell her that when our song is over, I'll invite the not-yet roots to become, so they can sink deeply into her soul, deeply into her soil, so that I can become what rises above her grave, so that I can feel her beginning, her end, pressed against my own, my love. And when our song ends, when I feel grief's chest become still, I will lift my head from her body, I will kiss her cheek, I will invite anxiety back into the room, reach my hand out for his to hold and say thank you, Thank you for leading me here, for unbolting the door, for giving me space to tremble next to her again. And anxiety will squeeze my hand with an understood solidarity because he's always seen himself as more pallbearer than mortician.
0: As we give Shannon an open another hand, let's bring up Leanne Terrace.
11: I'll show you mine if you tell me yours. Spin me a tale like a spider's web woven of how such sorrow came to your eyes. Like a frightened tiny bird, you breathe a timid little life. What is your wound? I'll tell you mine if you show me yours. But you'll have to walk the lands of castles haunted, navigate between gardens of nettles, have to wander the labyrinth and suffer through turbulent storms where will your wound take me down a path broken cutting feet on chip porcelain stepping through fire like some raving mad saint clasping the hands of malevolent ghosts where is your scar i'll show you mine if you show me yours fourteen inches of sod bone and knitted flesh stitches like that come from the jaws of a great beast or the hands of a surgeon fitting ball into socket like a into b this is nothing i say it is the traces of that not visible like crickets in the night glass grass where is my star most precious the cracks of my mind healed over with toughened skin and blessed by the blessed light where is your star i showed you mine now you show me yours
0: We give Leanne Tarras another hand. Let's bring up Gwen Whitford. And you just heard Justin Gow, Shannon Hope, and Leanne Tarras in the October 1st and The Journey Continues reading in that monthly open mic uh, reading series held at the Elm Cafe. Up next from it, uh, and you already heard me introduce her, So just pretend like that was on hold, and you can use it for this. You'll hear readings by Gwen Whitford, Thielan, and Ken Chin.
8: Good evening, everyone. I hope you believe in climate change as much as I do. But if not, I hope to convince you. This poem is based on a true event. It's called, A Monster Named Maria. When word spread throughout the land that an unwelcome visit from Maria was planned, nature islanders paid her little regard. For only two weeks aback, they had prepared for Irma, who ultimately altered her track. Perhaps Maria would do likewise. She seemed somewhat unpredictable, as she kept changing her trajectory until the last minute. But by then, it was too late. Her shrieking presence intensified by night. The uncontrollable tantrum provoked extreme fright. As a category five, the incessant howling, screeching, and screaming sounded like a devil's tirade, an unreal reality. Terrified inhabitants cowering in their dwellings, wondering about the manner of her wrath, for she was truly enraged, showing no mercy, tossing trees like matchsticks, stripping foliage with tremendous ease, ripping off roofs with wild abandon, pounding down torrents of water like Noah's flood centuries later, except no creature was spared her frenetic fury. Once stable mountainsides crumbled with the swipe of her hand. Boulders, mud, and uprooted trees tumbled down grossly swollen rivers, smothering the capital, creating an eerie ghost town covered in sand and stones thrown ashore by tsunami-like surf. All through the night, the people pleaded, prayed, begged for mercy and an end to Maria's relentless torment. God help us! They whimpered, huddled on the bathroom floor, hiding in a cupboard, crouched on the kitchen counter as the river rushed in hanging on for dear life to a closet door, trembling under a mattress with no roof overhead. If this doesn't end soon, we will surely die! They sobbed to each other in the blinding blackness while Maria carried on her evil antics outside. Finally, just before daybreak, after eight hours of torture, Maria moved off to wreck the lives of people elsewhere. But there were no sighs of relief. Rather, piercing cries as survivors took in the surreal scene. A desolate landscape, apocalyptic in design. The once stunning verdant landscape ruined beyond recognition. Barren, brown, and bleak. Nothing remained where it once had been, if it could be found at all. Lives lost and people missing crushed under heavy objects, or swept out to sea, a little girl wrenched from her father's tight grasp, gone forevermore. Eden, as the nature island was once known, was by Maria's hand, completely destroyed. Despite the terrible tragedy, God-fearing, resilient residents continue to pick up the pieces and put their lives back together, Two years after the monster named Maria ravaged the land. While this sad narrative may bring a tear to your eye, let's act with climate consciousness without asking why. Even though the direst difficulties seem far away, it's the only way to ensure life continues long after today. Thank you.
0: As we give Gwen Whitford another hand, let's welcome Tia Lun.
6: Forget-me-nots all the way down. I play romantic archaeologist, taking a detour down to the quarry where I find the first stone. Then pretend to retrace the bee line of boot, of <clears throat> the bee line of boot prints long dissolved by this river. The trees look different, taller, shorter, regrown entirely for all I would have noticed then. I am trying now to pay attention to everything I hadn't thought to look at at the time. Always in some way deficient, always somehow distracted. I think I'm trying now to collect the moments I haven't thought to save in the moment, which is to say I am pretending that whatever I wrote under the bridge has been remembered, and over clean white paint I take a new note I'll forget. I keep picking these flowers only to bruise them, wither them at the touch of a fingertip. By finally having them, I make them into something lesser than they had been when I wanted them. Maybe then I should leave the wanting alone. Let it be what it is destined to be unfulfilled, supposed to be unfulfilled, or else wanting won't be wanting anymore. Especially when what I want isn't what I want. I know it. Our history's so sunbleached. Every time I picture who I was then, I'm dressed all in white. I know I'll never have the time to dig out the hole of whatever it is I keep coming here for. Someone should tell me that's the way it's supposed to be. But from the top of the river to the bottom, There are forget-me-nots all the
4: way down.
0: As we uh, give Tia another hand, let's bring up uh, Ken Chan.
12: To drive a car, you need to take lessons and pass a driving test. To become a doctor, you go through at least four years of school, then internship. To become a chef, you need to have 5,000 hours working in a kitchen. To be an airline pilot, you almost have to spend more time in the air than on the ground. Even to dish out coffee at Timmy's, you need eight hours of training. So why do we entrust our lives to people that we have never met, whose only qualification is that they won a popularity contest commonly called an election? The leaders that we have elected make laws that determine our lives, laws that can put us in jail or send us away to faraway countries to kill other people. To give a person such powers, we really need to know that person more than just a 30 second clip or an election promise. It matters not their level of education. It matters even less if they are convicted felons or not. Adolf Hitler and Nelson Mandela, men who are diametrically opposites, both have served time before becoming heads of state. With technology available today, we cannot trust the information fed to us, nor can we be sure whether the source of the information is really who they say they are between Russian trolls and corporate-owned media, the truth is what they want us to hear. Democracy is the most just form of government, but not necessarily the most efficient. Today's technology have left the democratic process far behind. We need to look at democracy in a new way to prevent narcissistic nutcases or murderous psychopaths from being in power. Those elected must prove they are qualified for taking office. And just as the church was separated from the state, big business and government must separate now. Thank you.
0: And you just heard uh, Gwen Whitford, Tia Lung, and Ken Chin. Uh, from the October 1st and the Journey Continues reading in that monthly open mic reading series held at the Young Cafe. And uh, those will be the last readings I, uh, I will air this afternoon. I do have some messages I have to play, and it looks like I do have a few minutes to share some events too. Uh, but before I do that, uh, I'll tell you what, let's do this
12: first.
4: Mm-hmm.
12: I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio station, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world, not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture, a different understanding, but a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become uh, human. You know, that's the way you become human participants in in a social and political system.
8: Music And what it's doing today Listen to Counterpoint Hosted by myself, Selena Cirelli, Here on CFRC 101.9 Monday nights at 7
9: which has offered service to youth in the Kingston area since 1974. The goals of the organization are to allow youth to take responsibility for their behavior, to reduce the number of youth involved in the young offender system, to reduce the number of people victimized by youth in our community, and to involve the community in youth corrections. The Youth Diversion Program believes that all members of our community have the responsibility to provide all youth with the opportunity to develop and grow to their fullest potential. To work in partnership with the community to develop quality programs to assist youth to make positive changes in their lives, and at the same time, take responsibility for their actions. For further information, call 613-548-4535 or email info at youthdiversion.com. Do
5: you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let The Hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM.
0: And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queens University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go into. I think I'm going to pull out, I'm just grabbing the sheets here. You can probably hear that all the way out there. That was very noisy paper. <laughs> uh, I think I've got a few minutes, uh, just a few. I thought I might go into some calls for submissions because there are some coming up uh, quite quickly, actually, uh, within the next two to possibly three weeks. Uh, Shows, and this is mostly for artists in this area. Excuse me. uh, It's a call for submissions from the Union Gallery. Uh, It is uh, their 2020 and 2021 programming season, and it's for both their main space and project room. Uh, They're inviting submissions. I'm just reading from it. Uh, Inviting submissions for the annual November 15th deadline. This includes exhibitions, projects, collaborations, and workshops for our 2020 and 2021 programming season. Uh, they encourage uh, submissions from extra-regional, national, and Kingston-based artists. Again, their deadline coming up, it looks like two weeks from today, I believe, November 15th, uh, go to Union Gallery's uh, website uh, Uh, www.uniongallery. Wait a minute, that's I think that's I think that's right. Uniongallery.queensu.ca, and if you go into current programs, if you do a slash and go into current programs, it should get you pretty close. Looks like there's another slash in submissions. Anyway, that will get you there. You might just want to explore the website first, so and then. piece your way through it as you uh, prefer. Uh, not a definite date, but I know it's the middle of the month, so probably only two weeks left on this call for submissions as well. It's for poetry, photography, and it says, and more. It's Devour, and they are a relatively new Art and Lit, uh, it's Devour Art and Lit Canada, which is an online semi-annual Art and Lit mag uh, is seeking the best in Canadian literature, poetry, and art, accepting submissions. Uh, there is a. Uh, they are looking for uh, photography, and, uh, and they have a max of three pics as JPEGs. Uh, those need to be sent to Devour Art and Lit Canada. That's all one word and all each of the words capitalized at at gmail.com uh reviews uh sent to the same website uh, those would be reviews for art lit photography music or books uh poetry uh there are three different sections so you can send a maximum of 3 unpublished poems uh to the section they apply if you just want to uh, there's one unthemed section called open Mic canada uh it's uh april uh, you want, you would want to send those to april bulmer her address is a a april a p r i l b u l m e r dot poems at gmail dot com if you're under twenty five uh bradley uh, McLe- uh, McLean McLean. uh runs or uh edits that section and it's his name and it's uh B R A D L E Y M C I L W A I N at Gmail dot com. If you have poetry that's definitely Canadian, uh quintessentially Canadian, uh is the other section and uh it's either ideas and imagery that are typically Canadian it should be sent to me. Uh, Bruce. So it's B-R-U-C-E dot K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N at Hotmail.com. So, yeah, that's cool. And it's coming up probably around November 15th. So you've got a couple of weeks. Also, Free Lit Magazine's uh, deadline is the 20th. Uh, They're a bi-monthly online magazine. They're celebrating their fifth anniversary with this November issue. And they are a theme although they encourage a loose interpretation of it. And the theme this month is happiness. And I think that's going to take me out of here. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. hope you can tune in next week. Just a reminder that after I get home, uh, these uh, both hours will end up on my blog space at Finding a Voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. We'll remain there for four years. Hope you can stay tuned to... Salt water music coming up at the top of the hour uh, with Rob Carnell, two hours of East Coast music. And uh, how are we doing for time here? It looks like we're pretty much dead on. So thank you again for tuning in today. Hope you have a great weekend, great week ahead. Thanks a lot.